Welcome to the 22nd episode of Outsiders. My name is Julia Curtis Burns and I am your host. And today I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Cece Pondola-Lastin and I am a designer at 500 Startups. Awesome. And T, what exactly does a designer at 500 Startups do? Yes, so I'm on the event and conference team, so I work on primarily a lot of marketing collateral, um, anything from website, print, marketing, even like weird gifts of people on the team, um, yeah, anything goes as far as digital and print, I am the one that does it. Awesome. And one of the things I love to do um, to begin our conversation is talk about terms that we claim. So what are some terms that you feel most comfortable with claiming and that suit you best? So I identify as queer, queer, and trans. And uh, those are just very recent terms that we're publicly in terms with. Uh, but I've always noticed in college that queer would be like the term that suited me as a person. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And what exactly does gender queer mean? Because we hear queer a lot, but gender queer, what does that mean to you? For me, gender queer, um, you know, it's someone that's in the non, that feels like the non-binary, where they don't fit in the traditional ideals of like masculine and feminine um, qualities. So that you know, or male, uh, which a lot of people. Definitely, they definitely know that they're male or female. But for those that are in the prayer, we feel like we're either both or neither or neither. So, hmm. uh, me, I your uh, PGPs? I use they, them, their. Hmm. Those are my PGPs. Okay. Um, so, have you always felt like that? Well, it wasn't until, well, let's say, yes, in a sense. So, what are you going to be? So, that's not a place where, like, you randomly come across trans people or gender queer folks, you know, on like a regular basis or anything. Um, so I've always known at a very young age that I was definitely different. Uh, I was like still a tomboy. Like I've worn, I've always had short hair, always never worn dresses at the age of five. That's how young I was. Since five? But I knew, yeah. I know. So like at five, that's what I knew. the same sort of um, growing up I from maybe yeah I want to say since I was like five years old and my parents started allowing me to make you know some have some sort of say in what I could wear um, I always wanted to have short hair and that was just the way that I felt comfortable um, until I got to high school 
is when I started to feel like I had to, even though I knew how I felt comfortable expressing my gender and my identity, I felt like when I got to high school, I had to blend in. And the way that I could blend in was to, you know, grow my hair out, dress in terms of like style, very feminine. And, you know, it took me actually from the age of maybe 20 to now I'm 30 to develop a style or to evolve and have a style that I felt really suited me. So how has that um, evolved for you in terms of your identity and style? Yeah, so in high school, I was like golf punk rocker, but... Yeah! <laughs> I, was, uh, <laughs> I was definitely a tomboy. Um, I, I first discovered, so I first discovered, like, I was gay in high school, so I think that was the first step, was, like, accepting my sexuality. Mm. Um, and I felt, like, junior-wise, those two sort of intertwined together. Um, but then I went to this school college, um, when, uh, that's when I started dressing more masculine, when I started, uh, when I discovered, like, dragging things, um, oh. that's when it was, like, post that I can actually wear, um, suits if I wanted to, which I did for, like, my high school photo senior photos, um, and, you know, Can you just speak up a little bit more, like project your voice a little bit more, just because my phone is being weird with the speaker. Um, but you said that you were, there was like 1.2% Asian people at your school? Yes, 1.6%. Oh, oh six. Well, okay. at my school, not at my school. Not sure how many people were at my school. I would say the teachers that I knew, there was some amount, you know, like the community. Okay. Oh, okay. to college um did you or did you go away to college or did you stay in Tennessee um and how did that either help or or affect you I stayed in Tennessee mm-hmm. uh, I went to school at University of Tennessee Knoxville um which unfortunately has a bad reputation for LGBT folks but oh. it's first and only public university with the Um, definitely the 
opportunities there, um, allowing me to really step up, usually, um, for myself and for whatnot, because it's not a very accepting society there, very you know what for me I don't know if you had this experience but like when I was in college I did go away so I'm born and raised in New York City but um for college and grad school I I went away um from New York and my experience in undergrad was that I had to I felt like I really had to choose between (laughs) being black and being queer you know like uh, because on my campus there were um, all of these like clubs and groups, and I remember the first day that I um, was registering. Like I guess it was even I think it was orientation week. Um, the first question I got was, "Oh, have you joined the black student group?" And I was like, um, "I just got here." This is my first day. I'm just trying to, like, (laughs) figure out college. But, you know, as I was in college, I came out. Um, It wasn't until college that I came out. Um, But when I did come out, I then felt like I could either join the queer group on campus or I had to join the black student group. And I, I couldn't be both. And that was something I struggled with a lot. Um, I didn't know how, you, what did, you, was that something that you experienced or went through? Yeah, actually, that's like, it's a valid point. Um, yeah, I definitely, I never felt like I was like part of the Asian community at all, um, certainly in college. Um, it definitely, yeah, it's like the Asian group, but the Asian group was even split within one itself. Oh, there's the VX people, there's the Thai folks, there's the Laotian folks. Mm. So it's a very segmented within itself. Uh, so I was like, oh no, well, I'm mixed. I'm half Thai and half Laotian. Mm. Um, and I have all the Thai people there, all from Thai, and for a PhD and from Thailand. It's a very different experience for me. And clearly, I myself in the Asian community. Um, and so, yes, I ended up joining the queer community on campus. Um, definitely one of the only ones that was Asian, very few, uh, were part of that community. Um, but yeah, it's very different because it's the, uh, gay club, they were talking about, um, their experiences. They never really liked with my experience. Exactly! (laughs) It's like, oh, you know, Christian family, conservative, white family, go to church type thing, um, came out to my parents. I was like, I never came out because I looked obviously super queer. <laughs> so I still had the same narrative as like other people in that community. Mm. Was that the same for you? Yeah, I mean, it was like, see, we, that's something that I wish that we had. I didn't have, if there was no um, group for, for folks of color that were also queer. So for me, it was like very um, white dominated. And so I didn't, you know, so I didn't feel like I particularly identified with those experiences because I felt like, well, I'm a woman of color. I'm a woman and I'm queer. (laughs) So I'm like, there are all of these things going on. And I hadn't really come out to my mom, but I also... I felt like she knew. So yeah, my experience was totally different, but I it really affected my identity for a while because I didn't quite know where I could find because you talk about having a sense of community. I didn't know where I could find that in college. So I was kind of feeling like a loner um a lot. Yeah. Wow, you bring up like I I I didn't even, I haven't thought about this in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I haven't honestly thought about it either in a long time. Yeah, um, yeah, I never felt that. Yeah, I just never found it either. Actually, I ended up, I really ended up growing out like primarily like straight folks, um, and because it, we never really talked about you know like LGBT issues, so I never had to think about it. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, 
guy who's into that shit because I couldn't find it, right? Um, so I just never found it yet. Mm. And when did you move to Cali? And how has that how has that helped in your evolution? Uh, so I moved to California um, just two years ago. I moved to the SF area two years ago. Uh, it's a very good transplant. Um, but yeah, it's been very, very different in terms of there is like very, very significant Asian in the area. Can you ask the question again? Yes. Um, I was asking about how moving to, well, you said you moved to Cali and you've been there for two years. Um, and I was asking, how has that kind of helped with your evolution? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I moved to California just two years ago uh, to the SF area. Uh, very new recent transplant. And definitely here, there's a lot more Asian and a lot more queer identities, a lot more genderqueer and transphobic. Uh, definitely a more accepting community, um, but it's not perfect, but it helps me really be able to see other uh, trans people and other people of color that are queer and just, like existing in a space with other people um, and just seeing them uh, be okay with themselves, um, it allows me to accept myself too and to really come out and be more open about it and to talk about issues. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't I still can see, like, it would be really hard for me to talk about these issues, or, um, you know, because no one would, would listen, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, just being able to be in the same space as all these other folks, um, it's helped me just come to terms with myself mm. and allowed me to further transition and, like, whatnot on a personal level and all this stuff. I love that. I think for me, too, it was really important to, um, come back to New York because as I imagine your experiences in San Francisco, um, you know, New York has such a diversity of folks that are queer identified um, and trans. And it's just beautiful to see people celebrating themselves and shining in being confident in who they are. And I think because I've been exposed to that in New York. It helped me to to be okay, like coming out and be okay um, dressing the way that makes me feel comfortable. I remember, and I don't know if this this is, has been your experience, but I remember when I first started feeling comfortable with my style. I was like, I want to shop in the men's department. Like, you know, and I would kind of like walk through, do a little like quick eye, look and look and see stuff I wanted. But I was too nervous to actually shop there, you know, because I was worried about what people would think. And I was still caught up in that. Um, but now I'm kind of like, whatever. I, I, actually, I actually shop between um, the women's section, clothing section and the men's clothing section. Um, and what about you? Did you... How do you shop? Where where do you <laughs> what do you like to um, do? What's your technique? Uh, I shop in the men's department. Okay. Um, but yes, when I was a kid, that was me. I would I would well, I mean, even in intimacy, I would shop in the boys' department. But I would do it sneakily in a way where I would pretend that like I was just browsing and just walking through. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that I was not actually shopping for myself. Um, uh, yeah, that was kind of mean, but now, yes, yeah, I do shop at the men's, um, I also eat shopping kind of, honestly. You hate I, it? I online, dealing with clients and people in general. Um, yeah, I can only shop at, like, select stores just because, like, I'm a pretty small person, so, um, it's hard to find men's clothes that fit me. Mm. Um, so I can only shop at, like, Uniqlo or H&M. Mm. Or don't fit your body. So I just prefer custom stuff nowadays. 
custom as in you you have a tailor or uh, yeah, yeah. I go to Super Colliers, which is in SF. Ah. Uh, yeah. One of those like OGT friendly, like awesome uh, places where you can just go and get custom clothing uh, made by other OGT books. So pretty awesome. Well, that's an awesome experience because sometimes, you know, not every store is very inviting, <laughs> you know? Um, so it, it must be a really great experience to be fitted and, you know, have your clothes tailored by our community. Um, I like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but I forget where like, New York, uh, where there's, there's like, so many people in... New York and SF where people don't, they're just like weirder people out there, like weirder than you. <laughs> you do whatever you want. Um, it's awesome. Like, it's like, okay, well, there's someone out there that looks weirder and is dressed weirder, like, totally pay attention to me, so you can do whatever you want. There's just so many people, you know, population wise, that they have other problems mm. to worry about. So, that's that's true. So in terms of your career path, um, you're a designer, and has your identity at all um, been something that has affected your journey or um, impacted your journey at all? Well, it's impacted me in a way where it's taught me to be very flexible and to learn numerous skill sets. Um, it's definitely allowed me to just, it's opened a lot more new doors, I would say. And also, it's forced me to just continue to strive for something better in my career. Mm. Um, it's not settled for anything less because, you know, I've worked so hard and there's just like so many barriers. Really, like, you know, people of color and LGBT that, like, I I have always strived for something better, and I want to help the community as much as possible. In order, in, in order to do that, I need to be in a position to where I can, can do that. Um, in whatever company I'm at, and also the position I'm at, um, that's something that I've always strived for, and you know that allows me to really work towards that. So yeah, mm. it's, I, I can use that to, just personally and then career-wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And like for me, um, so in terms of my career path, I used to be a teacher. And as a teacher, I, in terms of expressing my identity, I didn't feel comfortable doing that because of many, you know, for many reasons. Um, but I found myself not being as creative or as... Um, productive as I could be because and I, and I didn't realize it at the time but it was because I didn't feel like I was expressing my whole self and so when I was able to move on from that and sort of start my own business I was at like the peak of my career and I could express myself the way I wanted to and because I wasn't worrying and holding all of this stress about like how do you look how do you dress how will people accept you I then kind of freed my mind to be more creative, to develop and express my skill sets more. And so it's really been um, very empowering for me to, mm-hmm. you know, as your, as your career path evolves, you evolve as a person. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, yeah, you just bring up the huge point in that, like, oftentimes we're thinking about, like, being out and, like, what do our coworkers think? And, you know, it, it takes a lot of, uh, lot of strain on us, on a, on a level, and it's like, there is, I think, um, talk that I listen to, where it's like around 30%, um, it takes like 30% of your productivity in a way, thinking about, um, and always, and, you know, in a, when you get to a place where you don't have to think about it, then you get to use that other 30% or whatever to allow yourself to do it. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important to create workspaces that that allow that. You know that that because because we do hear the term 
diversity and inclusion thrown around a lot, I feel like. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's one thing to say, like, yeah, our company, we, we're, we're aware of that. Like, we're, we're, we're big on diversity and inclusion. But then you go to the actual space and the staff are not able to be retained because, yes, you say it, but there's nothing that you're doing um, in your, within your business to make sure that people that identify with that kind of diversity that you're looking for say so yeah I mean I think that's really important too to be mindful of how you create spaces for that and I want and I want to give a shout out to 500 startups because I really appreciate what they have done um to create that I mean I don't know I don't, I don't know if you want to talk about that but I just I, re- I really like <laughs> I really like that um yeah, yeah that's Did create that space? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, I I did. Uh, I ended up leaving uh, to join 500, actually, uh, which has allowed me to be more involved in the LGBT initiatives and help create and pay that way for other LGBT folks. Hmm. Uh, so yes, uh, definitely foster 500, which is definitely the walk. And that's what I love about it for sure. Mm, I love that. That's awesome. So, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Well, sometimes. So, I say I do in the sense that I have a lot of creative ideas, uh, but I'm really terrible at like executing and following through mm. uh, because, like, I get kind of bored with things very quickly. Um, so in the future, I do want to create something, um, and it's definitely going to be something that I want to stick with for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am a creator, uh, and, and I love creating, I don't know, yeah, I think everyone is an entrepreneur. <laughs> mm-hmm. They allow themselves to be. But I also take a lot of grit and uh, a lot of such to do so, too. It does. It does. It does. <laughs> Being in yeah, it right like, now. It definitely it's does. What'd you say? Um, well, you know, because you're also creating your own business as well. Yeah. It's, it's been one of the, like, most uh, terrifying things I've ever done, <laughs> but also one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done. So it's like a, it's like a roller coaster, you know, and every day is something new and you kind of have to learn how to work with it stay inspired and like keep moving up even in the challenging um points so how do you maintain work-life balance is that a thing for you is that something you struggle with uh well my first rule is i don't work on the weekend yes so that is the way to do work-life balance um there's something that a lot of us struggle with. Um, definitely, at 500, we, like, we work a lot, for sure. My team works a lot. It's a lot of um, But in order to maintain that, I don't work on the weekends. Um, and I set that standard. Like, if I get an email or something, or it's like, we need to this. Or, you know, if someone that's outside the team, then I'm like, no. I'm <laughs> to on Monday. But I set that standard. Um, and also, self-care days when you need to mm. uh, and if you definitely if you know your body if you know that you just can't do that or you, you shouldn't like force yourself to do it um, 
And if you're not enjoying the work that you do, then that just makes it even more difficult. Uh, so I love the work that I do. Uh, so sometimes I will work uh, at night, even after work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's only because I loved it and there's got to be deadlines. Um, so that's something that I, how I manage sort of work-life balance. And also uh, hang out with friends work and um, yeah, just balancing a lot of that stuff, social versus work. Yeah. Um, how has it been for you in terms of work-life balance? I don't have that. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, um, I have, like you, you were saying, I have stuck to, at least on Saturdays, I, I try to reserve one day. Like, so if, 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 if Sunday I have something to do that's related to my business, fine, but I'll try to like take off the day on Saturday or vice versa. But I try to reserve one day during the weekend where it's just for me. Yeah. And I need that. If I don't have that, I'm not going to be rejuvenated for the next week, and I'm just going to be sad. So, yeah. yeah. You know yourself, right? And I also, like, very easy to get burnt out. So I know that I need to really take breaks because I've been burnt out before. Mm. So it's really, when I was working, like, three jobs, you know. Um, three jobs? Nine work. Yeah. It was. Wow. <laughs> it was when I first came to the Bay Area. I was doing three jobs. You know, the guy who would care to do, Right here it's Christmas, but often I didn't know the space, didn't know anyone, so I just like, you know, just ended up working three jobs at that time. Mm. Um, and ended up getting burnt out for sure. I was like, go to Kathy, uh, but yeah, doing design work after design work, that's something that I shouldn't have done. Uh, balancing it out with like work work, and then also maybe like personal work. Mm. Also, uh, sleep, I sleep way more I know, and that's the thing, I think, um, you know, in the pace of cities, we get so used to constantly being busy and constantly moving. Sometimes we forget that it's okay to slow down and sleep. I mean, I have to remind myself that, like, I cannot get two hours of sleep every night. That's not cute. So, like, (laughs) that's a real thing, getting sleep so that your body and your brain can, you know recuperate and be ready for the next day so t yeah, are, I, oh go ahead sorry uh yeah exactly and also like everyone you know there's so many studies after studies that like it's not conducive to working like 60 hours a week you know like you know seven days a week that's something that you shouldn't do but sometimes you have to but um you know take breaks when you need it yeah definitely um so, T, are there any books that you have read that you think everyone has to read because it's just awesome? Ooh, books. <laughs> well, I personally love my one of favorite first book that I've ever read related to like UX design, user experience design, would be by Don Norman, um, Design of Everyday Things. It will change your life. Um, it will rethink, make you just rethink about like experience in general. I think that's like something everyone should read about is just um, about user experience. Mm. It's creating like experiences for products and for your company. The experiences are everywhere around us. Don um, Norman's book, uh, good way to uh, think about and just for entrepreneurship. That's something I think a lot of founders and people should read about. And, and what about <clears throat> any books that have inspired you life-wise, like, um, in terms of your growth? Oh, uh, <laughs> there's likely Finberg's books, for sure. Um, that's really related to, you know, gender in general. Um, definitely, uh, their books really... When I first read it, I was like, oh my god, this is me. This is like my story. Um, related to trans identities. Um, and that's really, because it, you know, reading their book, I was just like, I uh, made definitely rethink about gender. Um, 
and especially since I was reading it in Tennessee, and Tennessee's not a place where you should be different. Mm. Uh, so, yes, uh, they're books for sure. Is there a quote that you live by? Well, uh, most famous quote that Leslie Convert said is gender is poetry each of us makes out of the language we are taught. Mm. Uh, very true. Uh, Say it one more time. That was great. <laughs> gender is the poetry each of us makes out of the language we are taught. Mm. And what does that mean to you? Well, I tell people, when people ask about, you know, what is gender and whatnot, um, this is a quote that I want to tell them, uh, mainly because it's like, um, you sort of associate gender with certainly the language that you're not, um, like, culturally, it's different for every society, it's different for every culture, it's different for every language, um. And I think that's something that people don't understand, especially when it comes to, like, they's and pronouns. Mm. A lot of people are like, well, I know the English language is plural. Like, no, it's been around since the 14th century. And you use it when you don't, when you haven't associated someone's gender already with society standards. And you have someone's phone, and you're like, I have have the phone. Right? You don't feel like, you don't know who the phone is because you haven't put a mental picture to that person. Um, mm. So, yeah, I just, like, love this quote. And I, um, you know, I had to remind myself that it's, um, you know, uh, yeah, I just have to remind myself that it's not me. That's the trouble with language. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, one of the things that I love to talk about on this podcast is being innovative. So what makes you innovative, T? Ooh. <laughs> what makes me innovative? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, being a user experience designer, um, a lot of research has helped me be innovative. Um, going above and beyond the current model and discovering a new solution to whatever problem. Um, What is next for you? Like, what do you hope to accomplish, you know, with all the ideas that you've come up with? What is something that you really want to accomplish in the next five years? Um, yeah, what's next? Also, I am working on a new YouTube channel. What? <laughs> a YouTube channel? Yes. <laughs> Love that. Um, yes. The new personal project would be like the, the new YouTube channel, which is going to be called My TV Transition. Mm. Um, it'll be sort of like a time capsule of my own personal transition, but also other people that I worked in with because they're sort of going through a transition in a sense by me interacting with them. Because uh, not a lot of people interact with like Jennifer or trans folks. Um, so, like, just capturing myself, but also I would love to, I'm going to be doing interviews with other people, like coworkers, also roommates, friends, family, um, whatnot, and to highlight those, those issues that surround gender queer people and trans people. Uh, so that's a personal project that I'll be releasing hopefully soon. Uh, but also the next five years, I hope to create a company like this or mm. have a business or run a business. That's sort of a goal that 
one that I want to strive for. Um, and yeah, personal growth, I want to continue doing more diversity initiatives in panels and speaking opportunities um, and continue to uh, do that. I love the diversity summit that we did in New York. Um, one of the very first panels that you did that was awesome I think visibility is super important and um, it's <laughs> when someone is able to see someone else who looks like them or who is going through something that they're going through or they can identify that's like powerful um, so I'm appreciative of you know, the panel that you were on, it was great. And it was just great to see. Because sometimes with, like, the term LGBTQIA+, you know, plus, there is a lot of um, assumption that we all have the exact same experience. And that is not always the case. And so to see diversity within our community and what that means is also very important. So I'm excited about your YouTube channel. That's going to be awesome. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, it was interesting being asked to be on that panel. I was like, wait, why am I being asked to be on this panel? I got all the people. I just kind of like thrown off by it. But it is true. Like, it's really representation is important. Like, a lot of that talk about it. And also, like, One thing I'd like to ask, and it's a bit personal, but it's a podcast, and if you feel comfortable answering, I would love it. Um, As someone who identifies as trans, are you considering or have you considered a surgery, or is that something that um, you're not interested in? <laughs> I I just um, wanted to ask it, it, it but not no pressure if that's not yeah. something. Um yeah. I am for sure. Okay. Um I have been personally fighting for five years now. Like since college I've been fighting, so certainly that's on my list of things to do is top surgery. Um personal conversation to have you know it's it's not just it's not just oh I'm having um a procedure done so I'll be out for a couple of weeks because then people will say well what kind of procedure and you know it it unfolds into being a very personal thing um yes exactly and I think Uh, but yeah, certainly that's something I would tell my manager or whatnot. Uh, 
this is something I am looking to do um, for sure. <laughs> okay. But you said that you've been binding? Is that what you said? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, uh, yeah, it's been a number of years. Uh, and that was when I was also exploring, like I mentioned earlier, about like trans, like drag king. Mm. Um, I've also been a drag king at sports, and that's when I sort of explored the idea of like binding. Um, it's kind of fitting. Uh, so yeah, it's been a while. And yes, most people know what binding is, but could you just say it just for our listeners in case anyone is unsure of what that means? Uh, sure. So binding is, yep, binding your breath. Uh, you have a female body. Then definitely binding that top there. Um, with, uh, so I actually bind binders. Binders for trans folks. Non-binary folks, um, the GC2B, the folks who believe in underwork, um, also uh, the lens love folks as well. Um, so we make these like compression binders, hmm. um, very different sizes and whatnot. But each, like, there's definitely different types. There's like Velcro, there's one that's like more spandexy, so stretch it out. Um, but yeah, it's like find your chest where it looks like it's flat so you can have more of a masculine appearance at the top. Um, and so you said that there are different types and you can, and, and, and one can purchase this online? Uh, yes, you can purchase it like pretty much anywhere online. So there's the website that I mentioned, companies, uh, there's also like Amazon, eBay, uh, if you just search like um, top compression binder. Uh, you'll definitely come up with a huge listing of sorts. But there's also ones that look like tank tops. Oh. That, yeah, the one that looks like tank tops is like Seekin, a company called Seekin, uh, which is a Thai company. They make one that looks like tank tops. There's also one which is, it looks like a sports ball. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going that sort of like, it shows the mid section. Uh, then there's also, ones that kind of go longer, downward, if you want to also like compress your midsection. Uh, very different types. Also ones that are Velcro, you can like adjust it. Uh, yeah, very Wow. That's awesome. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. That's very helpful for folks. Um, it, this is a question that I ask all of my guests. T, if you had an alter ego career, what would it be? That's fun. Um, hmm. I had an alter ego career. Mm -hmm. It would be. hmm. So I do love two things dancing. Okay. (laughs) I love dancing for sure. And dragging. Those two go very well together. So if I really had an alter career, it's like drag kinging. It'd be drag kinging, you said? Drag kinging. Like a drag king? Yes. Could, Could you tell us a little bit about that world? Because I have been to maybe. Well, you know what? I'm getting personal today. So I have been to <laughs> some burlesque shows, um, and I have, and at those burlesque shows, there have been some nights where there's also a drag king portion. But could you tell the listeners a little bit about the drag king scene? Uh, yeah, sure. So drag king, officer drag queen, drag king. Uh, like, this is men. Um, the drag king definitely very similar to where they like let's think, well, some of them do things. Um, and they, so they can range from like very similar drag queens where they like let's think to musical numbers, um, and dance perform. Some of them are like using drag troops, drag king troops, use like boy band versions. Um, 
which is very fun. Uh, <laughs> everyone can think about you uh, when the next rock hits, like Godsmack or something. Uh, <laughs> various different types of songs and whatnot. Uh, and people do these in Hawaiian bars. So he calls the final night college. Yes, I love that. <laughs> what is your favorite? What is your favorite song to uh, perform to, or your when you when you drag king? My favorite is always been Neo. Uh, his song closer. Yes. Favorite thing to do. So Neo is my only ego. Uh, I love Neo. I love his songs, all his songs, all his albums. Um, so Neo, very early stuff, has been like very on my top list things to do. I love Neo. I want Neo to come out with a song soon. I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I do love Neo. Just like he's so smooth. Yeah. I like, wish I was kind of super smooth like that in real life. Hmm. So being on stage like that, that's how I want to feel <laughs> all the time in 24-7. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, this has been... You know what I love about this podcast is that it, there's always, like, questions that I have, but for some reason it always evolves into something totally different, and I love that about it. Um, so thank you so much for joining us on this episode I appreciate your openness and you know your honesty about everything and I hope you enjoyed it and we will be back yeah (laughs) good yeah (laughs) I loved it though um and we will be back next week with another episode but until then Say what you need to say. Express yourself in a way that makes you feel comfortable, not in a way that makes other people feel comfortable. And be awesome. See you next time. Bye.